Well, we started a series uh, several weeks ago, I believe this is part three, uh, called Commissioned. And we're going to continue on that today. Let's look at Matthew 28, verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's look at Mark 16, 15. So this is Jesus speaking before he left the disciples in just different accounts of the same happening. Mark 16, 15 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Notice in verse 15, it says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, verse 46. It says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Notice 40, verse 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. What does preached mean? It means to declare. I mean, yes, you can preach, you can get up in front of somebody, you know, just because you're talking in a pulpit doesn't mean you're preaching. You call preaching, but preaching and teaching. Preaching is kind of the short version. Declaring, that's what it means. You know, teaching is getting in depth. Usually we do a mixture of them. Uh, but preaching, you can preach and never stand in a pulpit. You're just declaring something to somebody. You declare things all the time with how you behave. Every one of us does. You know, you ever heard your, your actions are speaking louder than your words? That's, that's declaring. But we're supposed to declare something specific. It says that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So we're supposed to preach something specific, declare something specific, not just anything. We're not supposed to declare just you should go to church, although going to church is good. We are the church. The Bible teaches we're the church. This isn't the church. This is the, this is that we call it the church. We say go to church, but really you're the church. You bring the church with you when you, you show up. But the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's the church coming together. Uh, so going to church is good, but that doesn't save you. Uh, you know, reading the Bible is good, but that doesn't save you. Doing Certain actions is good, but that doesn't save you. What Jesus did on the cross, it says here that, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name. That is what saves you, what Jesus did. Is that He paid the, the penalty for sin. 
He paid for it. And there's one way to the Father. One. His name is Jesus. And that's not politically correct. That's very politically incorrect in this day and age. Always has been. It's politically incorrect to say there is one way to God. Because in this day and age, well, there's just, you know, people find their own way. You know, that's what people say. You can find your own way. You know, you could try to find your own way to Texas and end up in Montana. Now, there's many ways to get there. That's the way people think it is to God. That's not... If, if God said there's one way, then there's one way. <laughs> well, I just don't think it should be like that. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what I think. You either have your sins paid for and you've received it. See, all the sins in the world are paid for. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Notice that. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So the Bible says God has reconciled the whole world to himself. Well, is everybody a Christian then? See, there is a lot of extreme doctrine. It's not new. It's just is making another round. That basically God loves everybody so much so nobody will ever go to hell. And since God is such a loving God, he, he would never uh, reject anybody. And you follow this logic, so everybody, it doesn't matter how they live, what they're going to do, what they do on the earth, eventually everybody is going to end up in heaven, and basically there's just hell on earth, and that's all. That, that totally contradicts the Bible. God is a loving God, which is why he sent Jesus to reconcile the whole world. Now, what does the world have to do? Say, okay, I'll take that. That's what, and, and that's what we're supposed to be about doing is telling people about it so that they know and can receive. Now, could they reject it? Of course. They do. People do reject it. That doesn't mean God didn't love them. You know, again, we were talking about this in often, but if somebody said, hey, I want to I buy you a new car, you could say, sounds good to me. What would what, you have in mind? Or you could say, no, thank you. Right? You couldn't say they didn't offer it to you. Right? You couldn't say they didn't love you. I mean, they're, they're offering to buy you a car. Well, God has already paid the price for the whole world. But people can say no. But you couldn't say God sent them to hell. 
you know, if you couldn't like be at home sitting there and, and, and say that person, you know, you're walking to work and telling somebody, well, that person, you know, made me walk. They, they bought you, they offered to buy you a car. You decided you didn't want it. <laughs> and you're walking and going, well, it's their fault. That's what people do. God's going to send them to hell. No, no. He said, you're reconciled. Your job is, I believe I'll take some of that. I, I, receive, I believe that that's true. I believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. And I believe I need a Savior. See, some people say, I don't need a Savior. Well, you're fooled. We all need a Savior. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. Everybody needs a Savior. Anybody think, you know, no, I really don't. I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. You have other problems if you do that. If you're married, you already, they already know that's not true. Or have kids, they're going to look at you and go, what is your hand up for? No use pretending. Well, God is, he is the king of all. There is a devil, and he hates God, and he caused men to reject God, caused Adam to sin. Jesus had to be sent to make the way so that men could come back into the place they should have always been with Adam. Adam failed, Jesus didn't. Everything before the cross looked forward to the cross. Everything past the cross looks back to the cross. He told Adam, this is going to be taken care of. That Satan's head would be crushed. Well, that was the Christ. So, the world has been reconciled. But a lot of people don't know that. That doesn't mean they're saved. It means they have the ability to be saved. In God's mind, they have the ability. It's been paid for, but they still have to receive it. Well, you know this. Somebody could have you know, offered you something and deposited it somewhere, put it there for you. Hey, I put this for you at such and such a place. You can go pick it up. If you don't pick it up, it's on you. But it was provided you know, I'm going to let you borrow my such and such, and I'm leaving it here. You didn't pick it up. That's exactly what has happened. God has made the way, and we have a choice. Am I going to take that or not? Look at this in, in the NLT. 2 Corinthians 5.17. In the NLT version, it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Thank God for that. The old is life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. Notice this. Look at verse 18 again. All this is a gift of, from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. No, notice, not through your works, not through anything you did, through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. So that's our task. What is our task? To reconcile people to God, to tell them so that they can call on God. They can call in the name of Jesus. It's our task. He's done it, but it's our task to let people know. Verse 19, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Notice that. God's not adding it up. You know what's going to send people to hell? They reject Jesus. They could be a murderer. They could do anything that you call bad. 
If they call on Jesus, they can still go to heaven. You say, how can that be? Because the Lord Jesus has paid for every sin. Now, is sin good? Do we just do, do anything we want with sin? Absolutely not. As it said in Romans, God forbid. The Bible says that, that the, the wages of sin is death. They're death. You don't want death. The Bible says that, that you do good works, but not to get Jesus, the payment of the Lord Jesus. It's because he has paid for it. You receive it. That's not what got you into the kingdom of heaven. It is your works don't get you in the kingdom of heaven, but you're so thankful and you want to be a good witness and you act according to his word for your sake and everybody else's sake. It does not pay to sin. I mean, you go and commit adultery on your wife, see, that, that can blow up your whole life for a few little bit of pleasure. That's, that's folly, that's stupid. You know, going to go eat a bunch of stuff that could kill you. Do, do certain things that, that have a, a, a bad effect on your body. That's not helping. Go, go rob a bank. Spend the next how many years in prison. I mean, that, that's, not, that's not smart by any, any measure. So living holy is very important. And we're called to live holy, but not as a means to get to God. It's because we have been redeemed. It's like somebody gave you a gift. You're not, and you're just so thankful. You're not trying to earn the gift. The gift's already been given. You're just like, hey, man, you need anything? I'm, I'm there. I'm there because, hey, that was awesome what you did. I'm so thankful. I'm trying to earn that gift. Well, that's an insult. Let me just tell you, you can't ever earn salvation. That's an insult to salvation. To say you could somehow earn it? <laughs> no. It, the chasm was so great, you can't earn it. You just can receive it. But this is the part I want to, you know, this is what we're on. I want, I, that's all, we're uh, just setting the stage here. We got to understand what it is we're talking about and what the, the situation is in the world to be able to minister. We need to know that people, their sins have already been paid for, regardless of what you think of them or I think of them. God, God died for them. So it says, God get, has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. Verse 18. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. Notice that. People's sins have been forgiven, but the appeal comes through you and me. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We have a job. We have a task. They've been reconciled. They don't know it. Lest they reject it, they need to be told. We'll look at this briefly. Look at Matthew 9, verse 35. <clears throat> We'll read these, some of these verses we've gone over, but segueing into you know, what I have on my heart today. Matthew 9, 35, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep with no shepherd, having no shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice, Jesus looked at the people and he had compassion for them. He looked over and said, They're weary. They're scattered. They don't have a shepherd. Well, Jesus is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. The great shepherd, the Bible calls him. People need to be reconciled to the God who created them. But notice Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. So he looked out, he had compassion on them, and he said, the harvest is plentiful. Look at John 4.34. It says, then Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do, do, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. Jesus said here the fields are, are, are white for harvest. This was 2,000 years ago. How, how white are they now? How many more people are there on the earth? Billions more. Jesus said, I came to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And he said, lift up your eyes. There is a harvest and these people are scattered. He had compassion on him. We're to do his work and look at it like he was looking at it. Our task is to be the conduit to reconcile people to him. Now look at Luke 19, verse 1. This is the account of Zacchaeus. How many of you have heard of Zacchaeus? Taught in Bible school, or not Bible, uh, like Sunday school, kids and everything. There's a little, there's songs about it. It says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, verse 1. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. Tax collectors were not liked. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. He wasn't very tall. The little Bible song goes, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. So he couldn't see, trying to, get a, a, trying to see Jesus, but he couldn't. So, verse 4, he ran ahead and climbed up, climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place... He looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, the crowd, saying, He has gone to be, with, uh, to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Verse 8, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Because that's what the tax collectors would do. They would take more than they should. They'd give some, to turn some in, keep the rest for themselves. So they were despised. So these people are going, what, what is Jesus doing? Why is he having him over to eat? Doesn't he know? This guy's a sinner. This guy's not a good person. 
Zacchaeus is so thankful, and he says, look, I'm making it right. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he, uh, he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. He said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Look at Matthew 9, verse 9. It says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at, a, at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Verse 10, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when he, the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So you saw Zacchaeus, everybody was like, what, what is he doing? Why is he eating with him? The religious people were mad. Here you see this again. It says, many, verse 10, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. In the Living Bible, it says, later as Jesus and his disciples were eating dinner at Matthew's house, there were many notorious swindlers there as guests. When was the last time you had a notorious swindler over to your house? Now, you need to, to have sense, but this is Jesus. You can't say, oh, well, that's somebody else. This is Jesus. Does he know what he's doing or not? Who's our example as a Christian? Who, tell me, who's our, our number one example of how to behave in life? Right answer, Jesus. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is our example. So this isn't talking about somebody you looked up on the news that's having a party or on Instagram. This is, this is the Lord and Savior. In the message, verse 10 and 11, it says, Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. Disreputable characters. Who are you having over for dinner this Sunday? Well, a bunch of disreputable characters. <laughs> This is Jesus. He's not stupid. Do you think Jesus knows what he's doing or not? Sure he does. It says, when the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit. Do you think that happens today? We got to watch being religious. Reading about the Lord, we got to watch... Uh, calling what he did wrong. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and misfits? So they're mad. Let's look at Matthew 9. Uh, just read the whole 
Let's read this whole passage in the New King James. We'll start back at 10 again. Just wanted to give you some more insight into some of those verses. It says, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him. Or, like we read, these are paraphrases, but they give you the, you know, the kind of insight. Or we could say notorious swindlers or disreputable characters came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, saw it they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 12, When they, Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Does that sound like what we read earlier when, with Zacchaeus? Jesus said, I, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. They got on his case there too. They said, why are you having that guy over? And he said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Here he said, you need to figure out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These people he's talking about are what he calls the harvest. He said the harvest is ripe. Ripe with what? Disreputable characters. I'm not saying everybody is like that. There are, there's variants. But it, they're all people without God come in all, all different flavors. Some of them. They look good on the outside, but rotting on the inside. Some of them, you just can smell them, you know, a mile away. And they don't make any bones about it. And maybe they're beat down and don't want to come anywhere near a church or you. Because they don't think they're worthy. That's not Jesus. Jesus went and ate with people. Jesus was able to uh, eat and be around the rich and powerful, as well as the, the people in society that, that were shunned. He was able to flow easily with anybody. He's our example. To reach people, we're going to need to look past their flaws and love them. To reach them. That doesn't mean we agree with them. You have to say that. Because there is a lot of preaching that says you just accept everything everybody does and you do you and God just accepts it all. No, He died for everybody. He's paid the price for everybody. He doesn't accept their junk, but He accepts them and they can come and call on the name of Jesus in any state and God can clean them up. You and I are the same way. Thank God He didn't wait till we were perfect. Before he let us, uh, you know, I say let us, he, that, that he received our believing on what he did so that we could be right. Otherwise, he'd be waiting a long time, as in forever. No, nobody's perfect. It's easy to look at what somebody else does or doesn't do and point their finger at them, and it, you, it, you know, might make person feel better? I mean, let's be honest. It, it, if you look at somebody else, you think, well, I'm better in that area. The Bible says don't do that. It might make you feel good. It's wrong. At the end of the day, it's, it's just pride, because if we were to see, 
mean, if we put our life up against God's Word, that's the job that'll keep us busy full-time for the rest of our life is just doing what He told us to do. Doesn't do any good pointing our finger at somebody. We don't have, but we don't accept everything that somebody does. We don't say it's right because somebody is doing something wrong and, and God has paid the price for the sin, so He must accept them. That's wrong. That doesn't line up with the Bible. And that's where you know, people will go to. Well, God loves them. Yes, check. He paid the price for the sins. Check. So He just condones everything they're doing. No. But that doesn't mean we reject the person. We accept people where they're at. That's not the same as agreeing with where they're at. Zacchaeus, you, you tell me Jesus accepted the fact that he was stealing? No. But look what happened. Zacchaeus, after Jesus invited him, he was like, I'm making this right. See, he had a change of heart because of the mercy of, of, what, of, of the Lord Jesus. We have to accept, we're not agreeing with people, but we have to accept their worth as a person for whom Jesus died. Look at them as they are just as valuable as you and your children, regardless of the state they're in. Regardless of what they've done or not done, they're valuable. And they, Jesus died for them, and we read, they're already reconciled. The worst person you can think of if they, if they haven't accepted Christ, they, they are actually, in God's eyes, He's paid the price, He's just waiting for them to accept. And so for us to go and preemptively cut them off, who are we to do that? Who are we to say, well, you're not worthy? Well, we're not worthy in and of ourselves. It's only by the blood of Jesus that we can stand up and be counted among the children of God and be in His presence and not feel condemnation. That's a truth. Thank God for it. We can't use that to say, yeah, but you're lower. That's of the devil. In fact, that will separate people. Now, now people can reject the gospel. You're not going to nice everybody into the kingdom of God. That's not going to happen. You can be nice and they spit on you. Maybe get into that later. But there is that. Doesn't mean we're, we're our job description doesn't change. That doesn't mean you're a doormat. That doesn't mean you just uh, you don't use any wisdom. But not everybody not everybody responds to, to kindness. But we're still supposed to be kind. We're still supposed to reach people, and to reach them, you have to see them as God sees them with the value that He places on them. If you look at it as like a game or a project, I mean, it can be a project, but not an object project. I'm going to try to get this person saved. Number one, you don't save anybody. Number two, nobody likes to be a project, an object. Do you like to be, you know, when, some, you know, when somebody's talking to you, they don't really care about you, they're trying to sell you something? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're waiting for it. You're waiting for the line. Okay, what do you want? Okay, here it comes. That's not a good representation of what Jesus did on the cross. Nobody that I know likes that. 
Nobody likes to be a target for your quota to get over some hump so they can, you know, they're over the quota for the month or they can tell people that they prayed with somebody. The object is for a change, for somebody to call on the name of the Lord Jesus and to be saved in their life, to be forever changed. That's the goal. And that takes accepting people where they're at, knowing where they're coming from, and explaining what Jesus did to them, and then it's up to them to receive it. You can't just put your head in the ground and be like, well, everybody just find out. No, that's our job. And, and different people can reach different people. I mean, Jesus went around, and he was able to flow. And in, in our day and age, uh, you don't know everybody. You're not going to get to everybody. There are people that, that you know and that you're able to communicate with because of your station in life, because of your knowledge, because of your profession, that I could not have a competent conversation with on that level. You could talk to them about certain things, but you could talk to them about stuff that actually piques their interest, actually relates to them at a level that I could not. You, got some, you can talk shop with them. Well, if you're just talking shop with them to try to insert something, you know, people pick up on that. But if you are able to use your influence just living a life, being a witness for God, living a life that is above reproach as much as we can. We know we're not perfect, but we do our best. We don't plan to fail. We're not, we're not doing stuff that would um, cause people to despise Christianity. We do what we, we work hard. We, we uh, you know, give our best on the job. We keep our word. And you talk to people and you show a, genuine, gener, uh, a genuine interest in people because you care about where they're going for eternity and you want them to know the Lord for this life. Well, that can go somewhere. Because at the end of the day, God doesn't pressure anybody into heaven. He gives them a choice. And that's what we're to do. But notice, what, what I want you to see is that people are not going to fit some mold and be perfect or be all shined up. That's why Jesus came. Look at Philippians 2, verse 14. So it shouldn't surprise us when people that don't have God act like they don't have God. Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Notice, it says, do things right, do things without complaining, disputing. Verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We're supposed to be children of God in the middle of all this junk. The Bible tells us so. People go, oh my gosh, this is happening. Yeah, without God, there's chaos. And that doesn't, that's not going to stop us from reaching out to people. We, we have to, we're in this world. We're lights in this world. 
We're tasked with reaching people in this world, and the people that we're reaching, the harvest that Jesus is talking about, is not all shined up and pretty. Not that we are, but people... See, everybody's got a different definition of what that is. So, to some people, certain you know, habits and whatever doesn't bother them at all. You know, I grew up, I, I, was, uh, I worked on several construction jobs. Uh, you know, every other word is profanity. And people talking about stuff. It doesn't bother me. I'd rather, I'd rather somebody be real than try to put on some facade of holiness when you know they're faking it. Just be where you're at. At people that don't want to smoke around me and stuff. Just, you know, if you're there, smoke. God's, that doesn't send you to hell. Thank, and you, I'm not saying you should smoke because it's going to kill you. So you believe God to get you off, and every time you light up, you say, thank God I'm delivered from cigarettes. I've heard testimonies of people doing exactly that, and in a few weeks, they're done with it. You don't look at somebody that, that you know, has an addiction with something and, and, and be like, well, you know, I can't, I can't deal with that. That's, that's hypocrisy. You say, well, I, you know, we, we categorize sins, but God does not. Now, there are seriousness of sins. Don't, you know, people say, well, they're all the same. No, they're not. As far as a standard of God, I mean, there is stuff that could wreck your life today and stuff you mess up you can recover from. You know, if you go down and, and, and steal a bunch of money from somebody, you're going to have consequences for some time. If you mess up and do something else or say the wrong thing to somebody or something, you can recover from that. So they're not all the same, but, but we as people will tend to look at people and be like, well, you don't do that. You know, people could look at, um, they're, they're totally comfortable being around certain behavior, but they can't stand certain fake behavior, and they categorize all those people as their way worse than having all these other problems. And they don't want to have anything to do with somebody, you know, that deals in certain areas or, or that gives off a certain air, and to them, they can't stand that. Well, all of it is stinky to God. None of us has it all together. And just because somebody doesn't have this, see, it's real easy to look at somebody's problem, and it's not your problem, and then if you're not careful, uh, start feeling better about yourself because of that. The Bible says, don't compare. So we are called to be lights, and, and you say, to who? Well, to everybody that God puts in our life. I mean, I shouldn't even say it that way. You, as you come across people, you're called to be a light to whatever degree you're able to. It doesn't matter who they are, what they're doing. You have to use sense. You know, like, for instance, um, <clears throat> when I took a missions trip to the Philippines, uh, when I was a Rama student, went over there, and um, the pastor there had been there for many, many years, went there as a, a young man with his wife in, the mid in, in his mid-20s, and when I met, met them and went over there as a missions trip with the group, um, they were a little over 50, so they had been there over half their life. And uh, 
you know, we went to an island and, and did some stuff there and, and helped uh, some crusades, but then we spent some time in Manila at the end. And we spent some time, we went on one day into this very rough part of Manila, the slums called Tondo. And we had an armed guard with us for a reason. Because it wasn't safe there just to go out wandering around. And we're not from there. And you know, you walk in there and there's garbage in the water. I have pictures of it. Just garbage everywhere. These people's houses are made of garbage, literally. And walking through this, and, and, uh, and we had a, sun, a sidewalk Sunday school, 800 kids, you know, crowded into this area. Just, they had uh, basketball courts and stuff, and they just put mats down, and all these kids are there, and they, they brought in trucks, and they do this every week, and set up sound systems, and uh, would minister to these kids. So we had, we had people with guns when we were there. The pastor there would go with somebody else. They, they would, he would come into town, and they would go in the, into that area by themselves and walk around. And he said, you don't do this. You're not called here. But they would just walk around and talk to these people and minister to them. And he said, the armed guard, that's for you. Because I don't know you from Adam. I don't know who you guys are. And if you do something stupid, you can get yourself into trouble. You're not called here. But you're, you're on this missions trip. But he would go in, and he would... They would just talk to these guys. They weren't afraid of them. They were called there. They spent their life there. You got to use sense in what you're doing. Be led by the Spirit of God, but don't cut people off. I mean, as far as, well, I can't possibly reach that person. You look at on the inside. Maybe you could. Maybe you could be a light to them. Look at Matthew 5, verse 13. <clears throat> It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is it then good, or it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So he said, we're the salt of the earth. And he said, we're the light of the world. What I want you to see is, he said, we're the light of the world. Well, that must mean it's dark. If you go outside today, at least when we can, it's supposed to be sunny, I think, pretty much. I don't know, maybe it's cloudy later today. But it was sunny when we came in, right? You could hold up a little light. If you put your phone up, it's not going to be bright at all. In fact, if you try to look at your phone in direct sunlight, even on maximum brightness, you may not be able to see everything on it, right? Because it's all, it's all bright. The, the sun's out. But if you go out in that parking lot tonight and you're walking across with a, a, a cell phone, you may be able to see it. There are some lights around here, but it gets pretty dark. If you go out in the forest away from all the city lights, you can go way up into New Hampshire or something, away from everything, and you put your phone up on a hill, you could see it. So 
By the fact that Jesus is saying, you're the lights of the world, those aren't lights that nobody can see. How can you see the light? Because it's dark around. So we should expect it to be dark. We should expect darkness in people. To be like, oh my gosh, it's so dark. It's darker here than, you know, than we know, because we're used to it. You know, if you, if you go into a dark room at night, after a while your eyes get used to it, you can kind of make stuff out, and if it's dimly lit, after a while you can operate, and you get used to it. And then if somebody flips the light on, you're like, oh God, turn that off. It's too light. But you're used to it. Well, you know what? Do you, we, it is so dark in this realm. It's really dark compared to heaven. But we're used to it. So you don't see it, how dark, you know, you're, you're kind of used to maneuvering around, but you should expect to see Darkness. So you're used to the level of darkness that you don't even realize how dark it is, but then you see something dark and you're like, oh, that's really dark. And, and meanwhile, you're, you're bumbling around in no light at all. And you're like, well, that's dark. That corner I really can't see. That person's really dark. And if we could see the way it really is, we'd be like, yeah, the whole room's dark. That's just a little bit darker. It's not a surprise that, the person, that we see darkness. It's expected. The world is fallen and following after the devil. So don't be surprised when people who don't know God act like that. Now let's look at Luke 15. We'll wrap up with this, I believe. Luke 15, verse 1 says, And all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. Notice all the people that are listening to Jesus there. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, Verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents over than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So these people are saying, Jesus, why, why are you eating with all of them? And he starts speaking this parable. And he's saying, well, doesn't somebody that loses one sheep go after that? And it, isn't there rejoicing when it's found? And he said, there's more joy over one sinner that repents than over the 99 people that need no repentance. Then, then he goes on. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends 
and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he goes on and talks about the parable of the lost son, the, the prodigal son, which we're not going to take time to read. But if you know the story, the one, the one son gets all of his inheritance. He goes and blows it. Comes, find, he blows all his money. He's just, uh, you know, uh, he's with pigs and he doesn't have anything. And he finally wakes up and says, you know, my father, my father's servants are doing better than me. What am I doing here? And he wakes up and he goes back and, and he was received. His father hugged him and was joyous. So he's saying all these parables to these Pharisees. I believe the Pharisees are, are little by little going, wait a minute. Are you saying these people you're eating with are like the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son? You're speaking against us and you're saying these people, these dirty, filthy people, they're the ones that you're saying are precious? That's exactly what Jesus was saying. Every person on the planet, regardless of where they're at, Jesus died for and has reconciled, and he's given us the job to talk to them and to say, look, God's reconciled you. He did not say anything about their condition. And we should expect that there's going to be people that are in all sorts of conditions, and we need to start pushing aside any of our preconceptions about who we are able to talk to and what we're able to do. And Jesus just, He would flow, and He would talk to people. And by the Spirit of God, we can do the same. Again, use wisdom, use discretion, but be led by the Spirit of God, and don't be surprised when people are not all shined up. We are called into a, a whole generation, a whole world that is not shined up. And we know ourselves, we're not completely shined up. We're works in progress. And so we can flow with the mercy and the love of God to share His love with people in a real, genuine way, but not let their, the, the sin or where they're at trip us up. We're, you're gonna, we, we will end up talking to people with whom a lifestyle you disagree with. You may completely disagree with their life choices, but you can still minister to the person. And truth and love, not condemn them, not, not, not beat them up. People are beat up enough in the world. And they need to hear the love of God. Not condoning. See, people go into the corner. We're not saying that, and I have to say that because there are people that go off and they say, that means you just embrace everything and say it's okay. That's not a true picture of God. But on the other hand, we cannot let things that certain choices trip us up from sharing the gospel. God didn't exempt us. And the more we have that attitude, and the more we can see like that, the more He can use us in ways that we probably never thought would even be possible. We have the truth of God's Word. We have the task of carrying it as light in a very dark place. I want to read you something. You may read it again later at a different point. But I want to, in closing right now, I want to read you, um, just felt impressed too, this was 
a prophecy Kenneth E. Hagin spoke in uh, May 1979 over the, the Rhema graduates that year. And, um, and they'll, they'll bring it up from time to time. Very familiar if you uh, were around Rhema. But I want to read it to you. Now, he was speaking over these graduates, but listen to it. It, say, it says, what is that sound? What is that sound I hear? It's the sound of many feet. It's the sound of beautiful feet. It's the sound of feet going forth with the good news. Who are these that make this sound of tramp, tramp, tramp as they come, as they go tramping along? Who are these? Yea, they are the chosen of the Lord, called of God, equipped by His Spirit. Yea, they are those who have been loosed from the bondage of the enemy and sent forth to set men free. They're those with the story of redemption, the story of freedom, the story of the glory of God. Who are these that go forth ever enlarging in number and increasing in number? Who are these? Yea, they are those who do know their God. They are those who do know His Word. They are those who know the mighty name, the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. They are those who know how to take that name and break the power of darkness over the lives, the minds, the bodies, the spirits of men and set them free. Yea, they are those with the message of deliverance, the message of healing, the message of victory, the message of God. Who are these? From whence have they come? Where are they going? Yea, they come from the very bosom of the Father, from the right hand of God, from their Master. Even the Lord Himself, as He ascended on high, gave gifts unto men, and He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. They come from the very throne of God, from the right hand of authority. Where are they going? They're going unto the uttermost parts of the earth. They're going where an empty hand is reaching out for help. They're going where a hungry cry, hungry for the bread of this life, and hungry for the true bread of life, is crying out for help. They're going around the world to tell their story, to proclaim the message, to do the work that God has called them to do. Now he's speaking that over a class. But that rings true for every child of God, that we have a part to take the message that we've been entrusted with and to bring it to the world, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what station of life they're in. Every one of us has a part. The Great Commission to go and to share the message of God. I love that, that part of it where he says the message of deliverance, the message of healing, the message of victory, the message of God. Amen.